Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 76. Brought to you by the five folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, every day is a good day to be alive. Um, it's It wasn't a great day to be a football fan yesterday, but it was okay. <laughs> I got my full eight hours of sleep. Got some nice REM cycles last night. That was for freaking sure. Uh, but happy Taylor Hart episode. Good to be here in the first official off-season podcast of the Kiss and Solak Show. How you doing? I am doing well. And we have to start off with the corrections and omissions from last show, Ben. Mm-hmm. Because we were talking about Georgia running back Elijah Holyfield coming oh out in the draft. That's correct. Holyfield, the son of Evander Holyfield, the famous boxer, and you corrected me and said it was Hollyfield. Complain to the SEC Network, complain to CBS. <laughs> they said Hollyfield. Listen, you gotta Elijah hold yourself to a higher standard, Ben. <laughs> is a good player. Any questions? No questions. Yeah. I think he's. A I'll, good I'll issue a corrections and omissions. Oh no, wait! I don't think we talked about Amani Hooker on the podcast. I think we were just talking about him in the Slack channel. Amani Hooker, that Iowa safety, is freaking good. I he's told you, awesome. You had yeah. you said you had like a day three on him. I do. Coward. He's a day two player. You're gonna draft him. You're gonna draft him early fourth round, and he's gonna be awesome. Desmond King dropped to the fifth. He's Coward. not gonna test as well as Desmond King. Coward. And he's gonna have a similar role. I can project him very easily. I have concerns about the athletic profile, just like with King. Coward. He's gonna drop. I'll take him. I'll take him in the fourth. He is smart, dude. He is really good, and it feels like the Thanks, draft Mike. community stumbled upon him like. All at once, like we all got to his film at right. the same time. Well, it's it's like it's like a, no, but it's like a classic example of like, oh well, this junior declared, and nobody thought he was going to declare, right? So like, I I I, have, I know a couple of people that are in like the Iowa area and whatever, like that uh, scout that Midwest area. I live in Chicago, you know. In looking at Hooker, I was like, yo, what? And they were like, yeah, we had no clue this guy. Like everybody thought he was just going back. Like nobody had any beat on him declaring. No agents were like. Do it, laying the groundwork with him. Nobody. Zero buzz. Right. And that's what other people I've talked to in the draft community have said. They're like, yeah, nobody from the Midwest thought this guy was going to declare. So it's a classic example, like just like a super late declaration from a guy who had one year of really strong production and it just takes you a while to get there. Another name is Darwin Thompson, the Utah State running back. This is a Juco product, goes to Utah State, is small, is super productive, leads the Mountain West in yards per carry, and then comes out after his junior season. And like I had somebody tell me like, oh, yo, Darwin Thompson's going to declare. And I was like, I don't no like i don't who is that like what like i don't care uh and then he declares and it turns out he's quite he's a day three player for me but he's got an nfl future right and like a, a one-year juco utah state guy you know what i mean like you just you you this is how late risers come into the process it's guys who declare that we didn't expect to declare uh or guys who were miscast in their system who who have good all-star circuits there's always a ton of like People who, who gain uh, uh, attention and they gain, you know, people return to their tape in this part of the process. I can name one for you from last season. His name is Avante Maddox. He went to the Combine and absolutely blew every agility tra- test out of the freaking water. He also came mm. in with his 29 and a half inch arms, which was a problem. But like, <laughs> I have a tweet from last year and I can find it to see all of the names. But it was like, all right, like because of the combine, like here are these players that I want to like go watch again. And I had Maddox down. I had Troy Apke down, the safety out of. Right. Uh, he burned. 
Penn State. Penn, yeah, Penn State, who ran a, like a sub 4 4. And Marquise Valdez Scantling, the ex NC State yeah. wide receiver, went to the University of South Florida, tested great, ended up going day three to the Packers. And Oren Burks, the Vanderbilt linebacker, was a safety convert who the Packers drafted in day two. So, like, this happens. Like, these are players I had heard nothing about until that time. And then they all were drafted and all provided snaps this year meaningful snaps to their team save for apke who got injured yeah there you go absolutely so yeah this draft process is fun because i mean even this morning and we're going to be talking about the super bowl in this show but as you know it wasn't there's not a whole lot to talk about with it but we will dive into the recap of the super bowl but i just had a moment this morning where i was watching utah state tight end dax raymond who i like by the way yeah you do i stumble across darwin thompson the running back because i see him shredding this San Jose State defense for 255 all-purpose yards. I'm like, who is this kid? So I look him up. I see he's declared for the NFL draft. And then I see right as I tweet out a video of him, I see Dane Brugler, the awesome Dane Brugler, tweet out that he's a combine snub. And I'm like, oh, man. Okay, cool. Like, so there's actually some serious buzz around this dude. And he's nice, dude. He's like 5'9", five, five, 195, like built and has jets. Like, this is the, when you stumble across guys like that in the process. And right. I mean, scouts are doing the same thing. Guys declare and you go to their tape. It's an exciting time. Here's the thing. I don't think Thompson's that good of an athlete, to be honest. I think if you, you he has a he has a game against Michigan State and he has a game against BYU. Mountain West was good, but like, I like using that Michigan State and that BYU film because BYU's got a fast defense and he doesn't look nearly as quick. As he does in some of the Mountain West film. And that's the concern with the smaller school guys. You want to see the speed match up. And Michigan State is a tape that I have of him that's actually next up on the docket. So you kind of go through this evolution with these players as you watch Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. So I wasn't huge on Thompson. I was a little disappointed. But you want to talk uh, discovering Utah State skill position players, which, man, I would have thought it would take us longer to get into this conversation. (laughs) No, that wide receiver, number one, Ron Quavian Tarver. Yeah, questionable hands, bro questionable hands but he can yeah see the thing is it's definitely concentration drops and not yeah hand strength issues because he's got big mitts and he makes some great catches so i think it's concentration stuff uh red zone young man is a problem young yeah. man is a long explosive physical dude and so i haven't watched him i just think he was popping for me when i was watching thompson yeah. i've already I w- i've watched dax raymond i love dax raymond i had to update my my positional rankings my top 10s which are all updated at the draftnetwork.com tight end is the hardest group for me, yeah. it's so freaking tight. It's unbelievable. Like it's, it's. I know T.J. Hawkinson is my number one at Iowa, and I know Hawkinson, yeah. his teammate Font, and Irv Smith Jr. out of Alabama. I know they're my top three. Correct. Everything else is just like, like the order. Not really the order of those three. Like I think, uh, I don't think Hawkinson, Font, and Irv Smith will change because I don't think Font is going to test that much better than Hawkinson, especially when you adjust for density to make them flip. And I think Irv Smith is kind of just like a, a, a good overall athlete. He's not like an incredible athlete. So those right. three will probably stay. But then after that, like, let's see, four I have... Yeah, Isaac Nwada, you got Dawson Knox, you've got yes. Sternberger. Right, so four I have Josh Nada, Oliver. who... Isaac Nada's favorite person in the world should be Riley Ridley, because if not for all the drama around Riley Ridley, his teammate out of Georgia, we'd all be fighting about Isaac Nada, who has like six catches over his career, and yet I have him right. as like a top 60 player. Um, yeah. He's unbelievably, he's got great long speed, he's got great hands, and then he's a combo player. He's probably the yeah. second best combo player besides Hawkinson, in terms of he's a fantastic blocker in yeah. every, in power, in down block, reach block, angles, combo, second level. He's off its alignment. He just weighs, weighs yep. 260 pounds. Is that really, really great in that regard? He's going to be, he's, I think he's a future tight end one. My five is Jay Sternberger, who every yeah. game I watch of him, his grade is getting better. Okay, so I I haven't seen Sternberger. He's like on yep. the top of my list because I'm kind of going through t- tight ends today. Tell me about Sternberger 
give me the elevator pitch on what I should be looking for when I watch his film. You know how coaches make stupid comparisons that make no sense? Yes. The comparison that was made for Sternberger by Jimbo Fisher actually makes a little bit of sense. Okay. He wins like Zach Ertz wins. He really, Ooh. really does. Dude is very quick through his breaks mm-hmm. and 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 very uh, a very physical, good leverage down the field. Always oh. wins, always gets into space, and is smart against zone. He's just always open, right? Nice. Some, he's not separating, but he's always right. just get it to him, right? Just get well, it to Ertz him Well, Ertz isn't space. like a shifty dude, but yeah. And the thing is... Now, Sternberger, I don't think, has the hands that Ertz does, and he's not as polished. Like, it's a similar win, but obviously, like, you know, there's more stuff to go. The thing is, Sternberger's probably faster in terms mm. of, like, what he is right now. You know what I mean? Like, man, I don't know what Ertz is running these days. But, like, Sternberger coming out is probably quicker than Ertz was coming out, just in a straight line. Which is really nice, because Ertz is, isn't super great on just, like, seam routes, and Sternberger can win for you there. Um, so, dude's got wheels. He's not going to block for you well. I don't think ever. He has a frame that kind of looks like it. Like he's like 6'5", 250. But I don't really think it's just not his game. He doesn't have great hip hinge. He's not super flexible down there. His agility as accordingly is bad. That's the other thing with Ertz. He doesn't break that many tackles. But full route tree that you could imagine mm. giving a tight end, you can give to Sternberger, I think, no problem. And so nice. he's very exciting for me for a team similar to Philadelphia that wants to keep tight ends on the field, but regularly flex them out. So as to like say like, oh, we're in 11 personnel, we're in 12 personnel, but then go empty. Right, which like, hey, if you watched the Super Bowl last night, that's how the Patriots ended up scoring on the Rams, is they went in like 22 personnel and went empty, because they're like, all right, we're just going to jam the Rams into base personnel, and then force linebackers to, you know, sprint down the field with Gronkowski. It doesn't go well. So I I really like Sternberg in that regard. So like, there's the Earths comparison. I think probably if you're looking for a more, like, level comparison, one that's not as you know, over ambitious. It's probably like Austin Hooper. I know another Stanford tight end. Like I'm not getting, I dig it. you know, I'm not getting too original here, but like, that's <laughs> really like kind of where you're looking at this point. Love it. Yeah. And you mentioned Super Bowl 53. So let's talk about it. So we're going to table that draft discussion. We're going to be talking about this at length. I mean, me and Ben could talk about this stuff for hours all day. Yeah, I mean, we just talked about nobody who will be of interest to the Philadelphia Eagles for 10 right. minutes. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I'm so, hooker. Maybe a hooker. But yeah, so let's talk about this Super Bowl 53 real barn burner. Patriots win 13 to 3. You mentioned that 22 personnel that the Patriots used on probably the best drive of the game. They just went Madden style and they went with the same play over and over. They went 22 personnel. They, they they put the running back out wide for a coverage indicator. They put Edelman in the slot in motion as a second coverage indicator and they just ran Haas wide juke, which is a concept that me and Mark Schofield talked about on the QB Scope show that they would probably run and it was very successful for him. And Haas is basically there's two hitches on the outside, there's two seam routes inside of those guys and then Edelman has an option route in the middle and they were able to hit those for big gains I think they hit the curl first and then they were able to hit the uh, the big one that set up the touchdown by Sony Michelle but Bill Barnwell put out a piece for ESPN where he called the performance by the Patriots defense the best that we have ever seen there's some interesting data to support this that he put out there Barnwell took regular season points per game for Super Bowl teams, then took their points scored, and then spit out a percentage. So what that looks like is, for instance, in 2013, the Seahawks limited a Broncos team that averaged 37.9 points per game to only eight points in the Super Bowl, which was 21.1%. That was the third best all time. The Patriots limited a Rams offense that averaged 32.9 points per game in the regular season to only three points. Over 4% better than the second-place Cowboys who held the Dolphins to three points back in 1971. So that's actually an interesting way to look at it. And Sean McVay said it himself. He was outcoached. And it's funny because we talked about the Lions-Rams game from early December a lot. 
that's where the seesaw started to come down on the other side as defenses figured out the Rams a bit. But nobody noticed it in that game because the Rams ultimately won by two scores. Bill Belichick and defensive coordinator Brian Flores apparently loved that game plan from the Lions. They used and took pieces from it to construct their own plan. And what the plan looked like is actually similar to what the Eagles did, which was deploy quarters coverage, which also adds extra defenders close to the box and really take away the weak side zone, the outside zone, the middle of the field passes. And if you watch, the Patriots played with a hole or robber defender a lot to take away these typically easy short to intermediate stuff in the area. But they also really confused the Rams offensive line with stunts and games. That's the big one. This was really a masterpiece by Bill Belichick and Brian Flores. And we can dump on the game all day for not being excited. I get that. And the offense wasn't great for their part. But this was all made possible by the way that the Lions, the Bears, the Eagles had success against McVay from weeks 12 to 14. And really even in the past when Belichick went up against McVay when, when McVay was still a coordinator. I think that's part of the reason that I love this game plan from Belichick so much because there's the macro of it, there's the micro of it. If you decide how far back you want to look and you can take pieces from all of it and it all had a very clear purpose and it was extremely effective. Belichick, who has spent 20 years taking away what an opposing team does well, <laughs> faced a team that has been inordinately successful by doing like one thing really, really well. Like We laud the simplicity of the McVay offense. And then Belichick just took away the... This is the simple stuff you want to do. We're going to take it away. Like, it's... it's yeah. yeah, it's... it's it's Belichick's usually using kryptonite, and he came across the most Superman of Supermans, who, like, was heavily reliant on just, like, one thing and, like, had one huge Achilles heel. You know what I mean? Obviously, like, I didn't predict a three-point game for the Rams. I thought they'd be able to score more. A lot of my predictions coming into the game were, like, I just don't think the Rams... Like, I, had, I gave the Rams 17 points in my final prediction, which would have been one of their lowest scores all year. I expected Belichick to be able to to take away a lot of what the Rams did well, and you expect McVay to adjust a little better, I think, number one, whereas he kind of came out and just ran his head into the same wall. The real story that surprised me, and I think the reason that you saw three points, is that we talk about McVay under pressure, or Goff under pressure, we talk about Goff outside of structure, and it was very funny because the universe was very mean to Jared Goff yesterday. I was very mean to Jared Goff yesterday. I had a great time, <laughs> right? I wanted the Rams to win, but I had an overall net positive Super Bowl because I was able to make a ton of Jared Goff jokes, and that just made me happy. For all the for all the times that we've talked about Goff on this show, like that right. was the ultimate brand moment, and I was enjoying it. Which which it's funny because when I was in Mobile with with uh, the Draft Network, that's like if you're if you're on like football Twitter, Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, Trevor Sikama, John Ledger, and a lot of like football Twitter. Great guys. Late at night, like it was like eleven on Thursday, we're all exhausted. We got into the conversation of Goff versus Wentz, and I fully expected my very rational friends to be at least <laughs> divided on the topic. They're yeah. great analysts, and everybody was Goff over Wentz, and I was shocked. And 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 when you're the only one who's Wentz over Goff, and you're an Eagles fan, it's very right. easy to just get bullied into being like, "Oh, you're just a homer." I really don't. I you know. I, I really just think Wentz is is a, is a better player than Goff, but whatever. Um, and I, I want to do a post on Goff, Wentz, and Dak off of their film. I think it would be so interesting. To you know, evaluate their stats. film to compare them, <laughs> but um, that's gonna take that's gonna take some time. That's like eighteen games of uh, of watching at least. Now, Wentz over Golf, Golf over Wentz, whatever. When we've talked about Golf, when the Eagles went to play the Rams, as we said, listen, like if you just if you can take away his first read and put pressure on him, Golf really, really just struggles outside of structure. He struggles out of context, and most quarterbacks do. And it's a great trait, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, to be so good out of structure. Sometimes it's dangerous because you leave structure when you don't have to. It's something we've been seeing with Aaron Rodgers in recent years. 
But right. it's, it's a really, really great trait at the NFL because it, it, you turn garbage into gold to take from Mark Zumoff. Like you just, you, you, you can create from nothingness. But for Goff, data-wise and film-wise, it affects him more than the typical Delta. I think that's very clear. I think even if you're a huge Goff proponent, you can't yeah. argue the fact that like his drop-off from clean pocket play to pressure play is astronomical. Even 3K, who I had on here from Turf Show Times to preview the game, said that Goff is very tied to the success of his offensive line. And look, analytics will tell you that under pressure stats for quarterbacks aren't very sticky. And I get that. That's probably largely true. For Jared Goff, all you have to do is watch him against pressure, and it'll tell you it's probably going to be stickier for him than most. He has a serious issue with being able to face the fire and step in the snake pit. When he knows he's going to get hit, he fades off things so easily. It's it's so right. weird, man. And it's like and it's like you know like okay, hey, the interception of Stephon Gilmore in the near red zone, where it was very clear they sent a zero blitz. They were plus one on the rush. That plus one rusher is Goff's responsibility. Like that's right. like the line. It's not like the line missed a pickup. There were set like six rushers coming for five pass protectors, seven for six. I don't remember what it was. Uh, and once that, and especially when it's a clear rusher that's coming down the barrel, like down the B gap for a right-handed quarterback, it's right in your lap. So he is your responsibility. It's your job to make him miss, get the ball out before him, find hot, whatever. Goff throws up a prayer that had no chance, right? That play is easy to remember because it was a huge interception, and that sticks in your mind. To jump ball to Brandon Cooks like the <laughs> That is not, and this is so crucial, that is not an isolated event. It right. really, really isn't, guys. Like, like we like, you know, like like all like everybody's overreacting to one game. I think if you go back and you watch a lot of Rams games, you'll find that when Goff is responsible for a rusher, when there's a free rusher, when there's pressure coming, Goff crumbles. He does not have good escapability, and he does not deliver good balls when he's throwing from an adjusted platform. He can't step into the throw. He has to adjust his arm angle. And, 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 and like you say, oh, well, like every quarterback's bad under free rushers. Yes, not to the degree to which Jared Goff is. Yes. There's a, a, a young man by the name of Cam Newton who typically gets away from that guy. Lamar Jackson typically gets away from that guy. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. There you go. Then you have quarterbacks like Brady, Breeze. Obviously, we're talking about elite quarterbacks here, but what do we think Jared Goff is in this 11th highest scoring offense in NFL history, right? These quarterbacks are able to get the ball out to an accurate, safe place. They're able to get throwaways. They survive for another down, whatever it is. Goff wasn't able to do that. He was he was missing guys coming open underneath. He he just yeah, I frazzled. Right. Which is why and like I, I I go back to there was a, a third down. And it was third and seven. They were backed up. They were inside their own red zone. It was a third and seven pass that got tipped where Jared Goff was under pressure. It was a shallow crosser and he wanted to get the ball to the shallow crosser against pressure. Now there was a whole defender sitting there because instead of going cover one of the blitz and blitzing a deep safety, they went cover one robber and they went with a whole player because that's where the balls typically goes. Which Belichick's taking away what you do best. That ball was pick six if it wasn't tipped, yep. right? Most likely. Yep. I mean, he could have dropped it like Dante Hightower did to start the third quarter. Another good example. But, like, this is what we're talking about here. So, why why does all this matter? Well, okay, I don't know if Wentz is better than Goff. I'll, I'll go to the film and then I'll let you know. What I do know is this. What the Patriots front four slash front seven did to the Rams offensive line to me is the story of the game. Oh, yeah. In terms of when they regularly showed a five-man front so as to make outside zone and stretch zone, that wide zone week that Tony Romo was talking about, more difficult, right? Because you're, you're filling every gap from the snap, and so it's harder to work up into the second level for your alignment, which muddies the reads and keeps your linebackers free. Cool. The ability to rush three slash four from a five-man front mm. and win with twists and stunts and confuse an offensive line that was 
tremendous. I mean, won the the award, whatever NFL award it is for offensive line this year, which right. I don't think they should have won it. But either way, they were up there to, in conversation. They were playing fantastic football in the playoffs so far. Right. Yeah. To just generally confound them is is remarkable. Uh, and, and I think speaks to the success that they, they've found there in the trenches for years. And it comes from the ability to have hybrid players like Trey Flowers and Dante Hightower and, and Kyle Van Noy, who like Hightower and Van Noy are probably the best blitzing linebacker combo in the league. And they're like, not the mold of linebackers we think needed. Like, it's not like, they're like the anti-Darius Leonard. And yet they're so successful. You know what I mean? Mm. They're not great coverage guys, but they blitz very well, very effective. And they can line up on the line and still be a problem. I mean, we're talking about a Patriots front front seven that's missing their second round pick from two years ago in Derek Rivers. That is Danny Shelton, who was considered like a pretty much a boss in Cleveland, taking significant okay. snaps. Like, this is, it's, it's pure scheme, 100% understanding situational play and the tendencies of the team they're facing regularly generated pressure, generated as much pressure as a Rams defensive line that boasts of four former first round picks, right? Like it's just, it's that's, that is virtuoso and it, you can't, there's nothing to be said about it. That was the, the storyline of the game. The amount of pressure the Patriots were able to get with a front that still remained sound against wide zone ran. That's Incredible. 90% of the Rams offense. Romo <laughs> made the great point where he said like, you want to force golf to be a drop back passer without play action. And the Patriots had that done by halfway through the second quarter. <laughs> right. Come on. They got exactly what they wanted. They they put the Rams exactly where they wanted to, to, to have them. And it was a great game plan. Fantastic game plan. Executed very well. Goff. Uh, I, I likened Goff to the cowardly lion trying to play hero ball. Some things don't mix. And that's what was going on with him for me. So another shot at Goff. Departing shot before we kind right. of transition the conversation. Anybody who says, you know, the Rams should con- consider... Letting Goff walk and just drafting another young, cheap quarterback from McVay. I think that's foolish. I Well, I, I, I'll put it this way. I hear you. You know, rookie quarterback contracts are the bomb diggity. Oh, boy, yeah. they're the best. Man, Eagles and Eagles and Rams are good evidence of that. Both back-to-back NFC Super Bowl attendees. Only one team won. Doesn't matter who. Rookie quarterback contracts, a huge part of that. It lets you fill out your roster. If they let Goff walk to draft a rookie... <laughs> It would be the ballsiest move in the history of sports. In the history oh, yeah. of sports. And that would be the biggest nut drop from Sean McVay that you could ever imagine. It ha- it it will take exactly three games of right. that going badly in the beginning of the 2021 season in their first year in LA for everyone. Like it would just be at a coup d'etat. It would like, the, like there's not enough Ram fans to really turn on the team. But those right. who are fans will turn on the, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, the entire that's media such an all-or-nothing proposition. Let's find other ways to talk about Goff's problems without suggesting that the Rams should move on from him. Objectively, it would be very interesting to see. I don't dispute that. It's not going to happen. Let's talk about things that will. Now, here's the thing, too, with Goff, and I've been very critical of him. Let's put it this way. He's a very young quarterback. He could very well figure these things out and work these things out, and it could lead to more success for him. Would he's clean... He throws a pretty deep ball. Like, he, he can be a very good quarterback at his ceiling, and he has for stretches of time. It just hasn't been, you know, a, a major portion of the second half of this season. The potential is there for him. He can improve. He is young. There is room for growth. So let's put that out there, too. This is not – this. we're just talking about who Goff is right now, and I agree, especially when you look at this draft class, this quarterback draft class coming out. If you're going to say let Goff walk, go get one of those guys, have fun with Daniel Jones. And we'll see how that works out because and that so the ain't question happening. is like like okay so so Goff we argue has the biggest delta of all starting quarterbacks between kept clean and under pressure 
between right. this this ambiguous amorphous within structure and out of structure. What does that kind of mean? Like you know, like you know, the the ra- the the Patriots. One of the big things they did during this game, which again Roma, who called a great game, was alluding to in the fourth quarter, is the Patriots called a pre-snap defense and a post-snap defense and just ran two plays, two calls in the same play, right? And you regularly saw like there'd be motion and like nine Patriots would start like giving audibles, right? Yep. Because they had multiple defensive calls in on a play. The 15 seconds hit, that right. hit that communicator to golf turns off, they can switch the play from there. And now you have a totally different look. Now you have to right. make, now, now golf is thinking. They were saying. Now, right. And so now golf has lost McVeigh, which again, is right. a disadvantage for every quarterback. We're not just yep. arguing that because McVay is the head coach, it's the only advantage for Goff and no other quarterback has that. This is not true, <laughs> right? But the, the delta is big. And so, you know, we say Goff is, is better clean and uh, not under pressure. He's better within structure and poor outside structure. It's a very big delta. So the question is like, you know, okay, well, how, how good is Jared Goff in a vacuum? Never going to be able to answer that because he's never going to leave the Rams. Under this weird hypothetical where he leaves the Rams – is Jared Goff still a starter in 31 other offenses? Yes, absolutely yes. And that's why you're not going to move on from him. Because it's not like, you know, it's it's he's not like an option quarterback where he's only successful in your system and he's not successful anywhere else. No, he right. would still be a starting caliber quarterback in other positions in the league, in other, in other schemes, under other coaches. Absolutely. He's a very natural thrower with great mechanics, who has tremendous arm talent and, and, and throws... Beautiful balls with touch to the sideline. Oh, it's gorgeous to watch. Is it really well cast and well coached for in the Rams offense? That's why they're a good offense. There's nothing wrong with being helped by your head coach or by your scheme. That's the goal. That's the point. That's what we want to see, right? Like that's great. Uh, to 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 make that a detraction from Jared Goff for all of his faults and his warts is 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 bad analysis. And it, we're not just talking about like Le'Veon Bell walks and James Conner comes in and can give you a lot of the same production. This is a totally different beast with quarterbacks. So we're definitely not going down that road with Jared Goff. That would be foolish in our opinions. But Ben, anything else that you want to touch on about this Super Bowl before we get out of here? Because there is an interesting tweet, article, whatever you want to call it from ESPN that I wanted to touch on before we go. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get your opinion. Have you not seen this? Mm-mm. Oh, Ben just perked up. Okay, so... ESPN has released their way too early, according to them, power rankings for 2019. Top 10. Can you guess who's not on it? I mean, I, I will not counter this, but I will add to this with, did you see the uh, the 2019 Super Bowl odds? Because this was the funniest thing I saw yesterday on a day full of hilarity. Okay, so I'll go first. The Philadelphia Eagles were not in the top 10 power rankings way too early for espn the underdog theme is back for the off season put it on the bulletin board let's go here's the thing the power rankings things okay that annoys me the underdog thing i get it or not the underdog the vegas odds the line thing i get it because here's the thing you keep the eagles low right they have poor odds in my opinion entice the buyers but right but, but what happens is you leave the odds there you wait for the carson wentz news to be like oh he actually is 100 healthy and then you inflate the odds and people will jump on those because they'll think that they're getting good value, which they probably aren't. But regardless, like this is how line movement works. You just want to entrap betters. Yeah. That being said, the odds I have said, I have already placed placed Super Bowl 54 bet on the Philadelphia Eagles because the odds value is just simply good. Leading at six to one is the Kansas City Chiefs and the Kansas City Chiefs alone. Hashtag Ooh. Patriots are underdogs. Uh, at Ooh. eight to one, New Orleans, Los Angeles Rams, New England Patriots. Fourteen to one, Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Chicago Bears, and the first big surprise, in my opinion, the Pittsburgh Steelers at 14-1, mm. to 1, which 
The Steelers did not hmm. make the playoffs this year and might lose Antonio Brown. Right. That's yeah. odd. That's four AFC teams and three NFC teams relatively balanced. Here are the 16 to 1 odd teams. Minnesota, Green hmm. Bay, Dallas. Hmm. So, no, no. 20 to 1. So, we went from 14 <laughs> to 16 to 20 to 1. It's Philadelphia, Baltimore, wow. Indianapolis, Cleveland, and Houston. What? How can what you not are... look at that and be like, there's something <laughs> weird here? Like, we have four teams who have not made significant noise in the playoffs in the past two years, one of whom hasn't, like, just started winning, and Philadelphia, the Super Bowl champions from two years ago, who we're going to be returning their starting quarterback. That won a playoff game this year without their, their starting so, quarterback. That's so, again, so we have Minnesota, who did not make the playoffs, right. lost their offensive coordinator, no, obviously they fired their offensive coordinator. Right, yeah. but have shown no evidence of being a like, significantly improved team based off their 2017 play. They went down above the Eagles. We have Green Bay did not make the playoffs this year. New head coach, unproven head coach, first year head coach with Aaron Rodgers. Okay, yeah. And we have Dallas made the playoffs, won a playoff game just like the Eagles did. Lost. Their head coach is quote unquote coaching for his job, Jason Garrett. Their quarter, their offensive coordinator has coached for three years and is like 28. I see. I can't, I don't, I, I can't, I don't, I can't do these, it, man. Like, like what, are, what do people look at when they look at like how right. much coaching matters, the roster right. construction, how, how GMs are able to navigate things like Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz. Give me that trio over a, uh, over a lot of these dudes. I don't know what is attractive about Eagles some of these Eagles played a, a one-possession game and had a drop turn into a turnover and could have taken the lead <laughs> over the Saints, which like, obviously like, yeah. you know, like could have, should have, would have. But they could have been like a championship game team at this point, right? So we see and that. They, and they had an injury-riddled Super Bowl run, and then they increased their injuries by 50% and were one drive away from going to the NFC Championship game and would have played a team they beat in the regular season very recently. So odd to me, Ben. So, like, I don't get upset about, like, major media takes and all that stuff. It's just it's, – it's fascinating to me that people sleep on them that much. You can do what Ben did, which is put $20 down on the Philadelphia Eagles – Winning the 2020 Super Bowl, and you'll make $400. So $20 is four is $400. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I could, like, it could make sense to me. Like, if you had the Eagles at 14 to 1, and you wanted to drop them to, like, 16 to 1, 18 yeah, to 1 because of the Carson Wentz injury, sure. Yeah. But 20 to 1 on par with Cleveland and Baltimore <laughs> and Houston and Indianapolis – is just offensive to me. I'm sorry. I think Indianapolis is too low too, but that's yeah, that's that's a whole another story that. Want to know what's about. even crazier? Thirty to one is Seattle. I would have Seattle over like Green Bay, Minnesota, <laughs> and Dallas probably. Boy oh boy, it's going to be a fun off season. Obviously, these teams have some roster construction to do, and that's going to come via free agency, via the draft, via the re-signing period. We're going to be covering all that here at Bleeding Green Nation. Ben, I think that covers it for today. Would you say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners? Hang on, let me finish my piece of pizza after swallow. Ben always eats during the podcast, and I love to throw to him in moments in which he's eating to see how he recovers. Here's the thing. <laughs> I literally woke up like an hour ago, so I haven't eaten breakfast yeah. yet. <laughs> I, like I said, I slept in. I got my REM because of the game. Uh, thank you as always for listening to the Kiss and Soul Show here on BGN Radio. First official off-season podcast. Welcome to draft season. Mike and I are ready for you. If you couldn't tell by the opening conversation, we have a lot we would like to go over, a lot to discuss. So... Make sure you're subscribed to the feed on whatever app you listen to your podcast. Go ahead and leave a rating, a review, and subscription if you do enjoy the show. Uh, we'll go ahead and read the funny ones, as we always do, on an episode at a later date. 
we're preparing for the NFL Combine, so you'll likely hear us go through a lot of the positions that are, uh, the, the positional previews for the draft classes, where it's strong, where it's weak, who we like, who we don't, who the NFL likes, even though they shouldn't, with an especial focus on who the Eagles could potentially target and at what round they will. Oh, Ben, quick. I gotta do a shameless plug here because I haven't done one yet this show. Today, I just dropped my top five safeties for the 2019 NFL Draft class. Go check that article out on bleedinggreennation.com. You uh, you have Nasir Adderley above Yancey Thompson, don't you? I do, and we are going to fight what about it very it soon. What does it feel like to be wrong? I'm Benjamin Solak on Twitter, I'm Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K's focus on Twitter, I'm Marcus Yeah, thanks for listening to the show. We all we got, we all we need, Adderley is safety one. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hang up. Phew.